Welcome to MSP Mindset with Damian Stevens, where we have real, no BS conversations with real MSPs who have real struggles. We dive into all things business, including marketing, culture, work-life balance, and more, all to help you grow your business, think differently, and get out of your comfort zone. Hey guys, I am Damian Stevens, the host of DamianStevens.Live, as you might imagine. I'm super excited today to come and be live on LinkedIn and uh, several other places. So thank you for joining us. Um, We are going to uh, encourage community. My goal is to interview amazing MSPs and to build community. These are all entrepreneurs at heart who have built amazing businesses, and they just happen to be managed service providers. So it's my uh, joy and my honor to be able to do that. And community is a big part. So Throw your comments in there. We'll be uh, taking time to answer those as we go throughout. We've got uh, those coming up. So if you want to engage, please comment. That's the best way to get uh, involved. With no further ado, I'm going to bring in uh, Sunny Lowe. Sunny is the CEO or president, rather, of Blue Genie Networks, and they are a uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area-based MSP, Inc. 5000, fastest-growing company, best places to work, top 501 MSP. So, Sonny, thank you for uh, joining me today. This is awesome. Hey, good morning, Damian. It's really good to be with you. Congratulations on this new podcast. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, we're so excited. So, got some questions just popping up. Um, kind of wanted to uh, highlight a couple of those. Um, Justin asking if it will be um, live streamed. It's going live to LinkedIn also to Facebook and YouTube. So if it's easier to catch it there, great. Um, If you're missing some of this, just hit recording in the chat. We'll make sure to get your recording. Love to do that. Want to make sure you learn the most from it. So already seen tons of people tune in. Make sure to continue to throw your questions in there. So Sonny, tell us about why you started this and what were you doing before? And why did you start Blue G Networks? And why do this of all the things you could do? Well, do you mind if I give a little context first? Please. Okay. Uh, so my name is Sonny Lowe. Um, that's easy to remember. It's like a bad Mexico weather forecast coming into Texas. It's a Sonny Lowe coming into Texas. So it's really <laughs> easy to remember. Um, the uh, Secondly, I've uh, been married for 38 years, have three kids, four grandkids. I'm a pilot. You never ask a guy if he is a pilot, because if he is, he'll tell you. And if he's not, there's no reason to embarrass him. And then uh, we I'm an a entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur. I've made several MSPs. My first one was a different company than this one. This is my second MSP. Um, and we started this MSP in 2008. And uh, now at a bunch of years later, um, and it's just been fun coming along. Uh, we got it started because um, the, I was a partner in another firm, and that firm basically came to me and said, "We don't want you to be our our, our guy anymore. We we're not going to fire you or anything, but we don't. We're taking away all your clients. We're giving them to your assistant. We're um, taking uh, all of your customers away from you and giving them to him. We're." Uh, doing uh you're no longer on a management platform you're not you don't have no responsibility for employees at all what are you going to do now and uh it was um humiliating and uh, embarrassing um i i challenged my other partners are you going to put up with this but uh, they 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 said you know we're we're going to put up with this and then um I left and I rode my motorcycle for two hours or three hours that afternoon from the, from the management meeting. And during that time, I decided I was not done yet, that I had another company in me. And I went out and began planning for Blue Jean Networks. Six months, I went out and got me some contracting jobs at the company there with some big companies. I, I straightened out the patching systems at JP Morgan Chase. And I was working with, uh, I was the uh, active directory architect for um, uh, the banking group that does uh, banking for Walmart. And I brought their Novell into active directory at that time and did some really big jobs, uh, that kind of stuff. And meanwhile, uh, thinking about act uh, about this new company, and then in May of 
uh, uh, 20, actually in April of uh, 2008, I told uh, the group um, I was going to start a new company. And of course, they were really worried that I was going to take all my clients and everything. I said, no, I'm not going to take any of your clients. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to go out and start on my own. And so they gave me three months of room and board and said, good luck. Uh, they kept my wife on staff for six years. So, I mean, they, they, they must have liked her. And uh, I left the company and started Blue Gene Networks, me and one other guy. And that's how it all got started. So important detail, what kind of motorcycle was it? Oh, well, at that time, it was a gold. <laughs> okay. um, uh, it was a 1986 1200cc Goldwing. By the time I stopped riding motorcycles, I was riding a, a Honda ST1300. I don't That's know if you know beast. that bike, but it's it's a sport touring bike, easily do 150 miles an hour. Yeah. And just an unbelievably smooth bike to ride. And so you mentioned AD, help architect AD from Netware. So... I guess that means you or somebody actually understands Active Directory. So that's pretty interesting. And then yeah. people come from two directions into this business. They either come from the sales part where they're really good at IT sales and they hire some technical guy to, do, to try to do everything they sell, or they come from the idea of being a technician. And it's amazing how many people in this industry come from being a really good technician and say, you know, I, I guess I can do this myself. Yeah. Yeah. So which one are you? I'm probably the technical guy. I, okay. I, you know, you always tell yourself that you're better than you really are, but I was a top national uh, AD architect at, at one point in my career. Um, obviously, the more you manage people and you lead people and you go people, your your skills get rustier. But I can still tell crap and know, know a, a good group policy from a bad one. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I feel like that's a dying skill uh, to a certain degree. It, it's never hard to make a network for one company. For an MSP, the hard thing that you have to do is make a network that will work for 50 companies. And so thinking about how, how, in, how convoluted does your active directory have to be to work for 50 different kinds of companies. And if you can get your active directory set up and your lands and everything else set up so that it'll work for 50 companies, then every time your people come to the network, they're only looking at one network. Right. Right. So tell me about your MSP. What do you consider? What were your goals when you were starting? Let's just let's start there. You're saying, hey, I'm planning to start an MSP. That's more than some MSPs, I think, claim to do. I think some of them just get a client or two and and break off from a company. And, and that's oh, how they I was get started. so bad at planning. You can't imagine. Um, really? We're, we're rock stars at planning now. But back then, I was just trying to feed my family. I was trying to figure out how I knew this thing at this company was not going to last. They'd taken all my clients away. I couldn't have any employees. I had a vision for what good managed service. And I had brought managed services into, into DFW. I mean, we, I was in it very early, like 2002, 2003, I was doing managed services here in town and, and finding out about it, beginning to do monthly uh, stuff very, very early. And before that, all we were doing was, you know, projects and stuff like for people. And we, we were almost a full managed service provider by the time 2005 came along. And all we were doing was managed services. So we've been doing it for a long time. But when, you, when you're planning a new company at the time, I thought, well, I'll need a sales guy. So I partnered up with a sales guy and he was a great guy, but that relationship didn't work out. And I bought him out. And then I just hired some techs and I started going out and doing the sales and figured we'll hear by word of mouth. We'll, we'll be great. We'll do every, everybody will love us. If we build it, they will come. And we <laughs> found out that nobody came right. or at least very few people came. I mean, we've had very good success with sales over the years. If you look at on average, our sales, um, uh, over the last, uh, 14, 15 years, we've averaged over 20% per year in growth. Uh, throughout the entire time. And, 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 that, and I mean, even in most recent years, it's been above 15%. So um, it's, we're, we're very good at sales now, but we were not in the beginning. And so we, we, we planned and we strategized and we thought, and none of that happened actually, because nobody <laughs> plans and strategizes when you're in the business. Everything is just on fire yeah. and you're trying to figure out what fire to put out next so that you don't get killed. Right. Yeah. I can very much relate to being the technical guy waiting for the phone to ring, uh, hoping that happens and learning the hard way. 
So you, did you hire one or two people or was it just you at the beginning? Just me and another guy in the beginning. Started with a sales guy, hired another tech, and then my sales guy left and I was me and him. And he and I kind of started for the set first couple of years. It was just two, two of us. Okay. And a phone. <laughs> Waiting for it to ring? Yeah. Yeah. Tell us, so we, I want to get to the middle part, but tell us a little bit about the Blue Gene Networks of now. What does that look like? So the Blue Jean Networks of now is a really incredibly process-driven company. Um, as the MSP owner, I don't really do um, anything but research and development and um, hiring people. Um, everything else is done by different people in the organization. Everybody, Everything else is um, a... Uh, uh, process that's being done. So we have the accounting department, they've got their processes written down and we've got the managed service department and that's broken up into the, I don't know, I'm sure everybody knows who Gary Pika is, but we're, we do Pika uh, methodologies. And so we've got reactive people and proactive people and, and people that are doing uh, centralized services and people that are doing projects. And, and as we've grown, we've added project managers and dedicated VCIOs and different people like that. But right now, every role is specifically being done and, and managed by the service department leader. And I don't have to do that. That's awesome. Just wanted to uh, say thanks for the comment, Adam, for joining us. Um, so he's saying really enjoying the interview. I know Adam has uh, uh, been through the ringer as an MSP as well. So tell tell us a little bit about you know your process driven. What's the can, what's the clients like? Um, how many how many are on your team? You started with just one or two folks. I just want yeah, to understand where you are now. Sixteen on our team now, and we're uh, doing lots of. Um, growth we, we can't hire the people that we need now because we look for people we have a very special process now but i want to tell you how bad it was in the beginning if you don't mind yeah um absolutely we, we, we were terrible in the beginning we were all in every company goes from what i would say is muscle and feel where everything is being done by what's on fire or what feels wrong and we've got to go in there and then the owner is has got his fingers in every pot and nothing gets done without his permission and he becomes the 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 a cap on the bottle to growth and it has to move into becoming a process oriented company with processes that can actually be done by people that aren't as smart as the owner especially if he's a technical person he's convinced he's the smartest tech that ever lived and and if you can you can't make everybody as smart as you feel you are you can only help people and train them and then then release them and i guarantee you two well trained techs no matter how bad they are are better than you all by yourself and so you've got to be uh, the kind of person that's going to become a training and a growth thing. But I didn't know that in the beginning. We were stumbling along and I was, I did know that I didn't know what I was doing. I will tell you that. And I hired my first coach um, that like within a month of me starting the company. And it was a company, it was a franchise at the time called The Growth Coach. And it was a guy here in town that's still around doing coaching. And he took me in and began to teach me different things that I needed to know and learn. And he was letting me learn what, how to learn the growth methodologies. But you, when you're two people, wow. And when you're two people, you have no idea how bad you are. And, and, and you're constantly moving um, from I've sold something. Now I've got to go deliver it. But when I'm delivering, I can't sell. And when I'm selling, I can't deliver. And your and your your EBITDA is going up and down and up and down and every quarter. And and you're and you're rocking along and thinking that you're just terrible because you can't get a, that smooth line of growth. But in reality, you don't know what you don't know. And no one tells you is that a company that doesn't have at least 10 employees is always going to be that way because everybody's always doing everything at the same time and everybody's doing everything. And the only one that can scale is somebody where you've actually told, no, this is your job. This is your job. This is your job. And you can't get there until you've grown it to about one to one and a half million dollars and about 10 people so that you can actually begin assigning roles. And I, I had no idea. I just thought I was a terrible MSP. So early on, I hired a coach. And then right after that, I discovered Heartland Technology Groups which is now a part of it, ConnectWise, called Evolve. 
And um, the Heartland Technology Group's led by a guy who became my mentor named Arlen Sorensen. And God bless him. He, he took me into his group and I became the noisy guy in his group and was asking, oh, we can never do that. And they'd say, no, you got to do that. And say, I'd go home and I'd do it. We'd get better. And I'd come back and say, OK, what do I got to do now? And they'd say, well, you got to do this. And I said, I never can do that. There's no way I can do that. But then I'd go home and I'd figure out how to do it. and I'd implement it. And soon I began to understand that I had this rhythm in my mind that was not really aligned with working in the group. And so I had to let myself learn from the group and had to let my pride down and, and actually become a learning participant in the group. And everything I learned about being an MSP in some way could be tied back to that peer group that I was in. By the way, those peer groups are still there. They're amazing. And any MSP that's not in a peer group with other MSPs is basically shooting themselves in the foot in the growth. It's a hard way to grow without getting that advice, right? It really is. And and you just don't know what you don't know. And you don't know. You, you, you look at other people that are bigger than you and they're doing it and you go, wow. So along the way, um, we began to learn about sales and we began to learn um, that and, and initially every MSP is this way. Initially, the MSP owner goes in and he basically because he's the owner, he can change anything in the deal at any time in to get the sale done. Yeah. Absolutely. And then he thinks he's great at sales because he can always get these deals closed, but right. he has no idea whether the deals are profitable or not. He has no idea um, uh, how much um, uh, gross margin he's got. He has no idea how his accounting is set up. And very early in the um, in the process, I began to be uh, trained by uh, uh, the guys at service leadership. They took us in. They, they, I became the service leadership coordinator from my peer group. And so I had Paul Dipple talking to me all the time, teaching me about how to do uh, set up accounting in an MSP so that you can know whether you're succeeding or not. Because if you realize, if you think about it, what, what's the first number you look at when you're, when you're, uh, it, it, when you're in an MSP? It, the, everybody looks at profit. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and profit, you look at profit and you go, well, that's not enough profit. <laughs> right. And so what do, what do entrepreneurs do? They take less money out of the company so it'll look like they're making more money. Right. And so that's the first mistake. The first mistake is you, you didn't raise your prices. You needed to raise your prices. And I had to do that. And I had to really come to grips with, with how much more we had to charge for people. And the, the, the next thing um, you've got to do uh, and, and I want to encourage you guys. I'm not telling you about my successes. I'm really telling you about my failures. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was failing at raising my prices and I was failing at growing my company other than being able to go out and get a deal that was cheap enough that anybody would bite off on it. And, and I thought that was pretty good sales. And we were growing. And, and when you're tiny, I, I, when you're less than five people, it is easy to double your company in a year or two years. When you're 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 or higher, it's incredibly hard to do 20% growth. Right. So um, I would, I would really encourage people to think that um, it's going to take some discipline to get, keep your growth up as you grow. The growth you have as a small MSP is not going to be the growth you have as a big, big MSP. And it's going to take twice as many, three or four times as many people to get that kind of growth consistently um, out of your thing, just in your sales department. Let's talk about growth for a second, if you don't mind, Sonny. Sure. So we've got a comment from Jay saying, you know, you mentioned your sales and your process just so much better. What is your process and what do you do for lead generation? Right. So if you didn't know anything, what, what do you do now? What should what should you guys be thinking about? Um, well, uh, first of all, um, most MSPs tell you if I can just get in front of the people, I can sell the stuff. OK. And I would say that's probably not true. What, what most MSPs do, at least what I did, what, and I can tell you when I was this kind of guy, was we would go out and we would have an inbound call and we would go out to that inbound call who had already, um, basically, if someone's calling you, they've already figured out who you are. They either have a referral or they've looked you up on Google or something and you're able to get in front of them. And when you're talking, you're really talking to a warm lead. And a warm lead, if you're not closing 80% of those, you're, you're probably not really disciplined at all in your sales process. And uh, we began to do, we did really well in that field and, and getting those warm leads closed. 
But I began to become convinced if I was ever going to have a salesman that was working for me, and as we grew and we were up around one million or one and a half million, I began to think about getting a salesman and trying to figure out sales. One of the things they kept telling me at, at HTG was you have to move um, a, a a company from um, being in management uh able to change the deal anytime they want a technical sale into an organized non-technical sales process. And I had to be the first one to do that because I couldn't afford a sales guy at the time. So I had to figure out how do I become a non-technical sale? And so we began reaching out to people that accomplished non-technical sales and learned them. And from there, we, we learned how to do non-technical sales, me personally. And then I hired my first salesperson to put them into that role. And they failed utterly because I didn't know who, who to hire as a salesperson, didn't know how to hire a salesperson, didn't know how to compensate them, didn't know how to manage them. But you have to learn these things. And anything worth doing is worth doing badly. And so we did badly at this until we learned to do it well. And we hired, we went through two or three salespeople before we finally got a, a seasoned salespeople that kind of taught us. And he began helping us with, with uh, um, understanding the, the non-technical sale and how to set up a sales process. Now our sales process is a lot different. Um, we're very much vertically focused. We're looking only at one vertical that we're looking for. It doesn't mean we won't take clients from all other fields, but the people that we're advertising to and selling to are all in a vertical. And that vertical is knowable. And because it's knowable, we can build databases of those people that are that are, have that vertical in place. And the, the advantage of a vertical is that they're actually, when you do a really good job for some of the people in the vertical, they start telling each other. And now you've got leads coming in because everybody knows you can do their kind of business. And so vertical is like this huge acceleration piece. Um, and a vertical is not companies 50 to 250 that need techn high technical stuff. A vertical is a very specific vertical. It doesn't mean you won't take those other companies, but it does mean that you advertise only to those companies. And all your sales and marketing and everything else is toward them. Once you know who the companies are in that field, you can begin doing things that really leverage your, your opportunities to get in front of them. So we learned to do that in our marketing. And, and we have about six or seven marketing campaigns that we run all the time. Uh, we're an EOSAP. We're uh, doing direct mail. We're doing direct email. We're doing calling campaigns. We're doing um, podcasts and videos online. Um, we're doing uh, all in all. It's about seven, six or seven campaigns that we run continuously to let people know about our vertical, to let people know what we're doing and stuff like that. And when you do that kind of work with SEO and pay-per-click and all the other campaigns you're running, leads start coming in and you start getting the people that, in, that you're going for because you're much more targeted. You get the ones you're going for start coming in and then all of a sudden sales become a lot easier. And then it really becomes easier when you can really hire a high-powered high professional salesperson who's not afraid to make calls, who's not afraid to do the hard things that can actually get things closed. And all of a sudden you begin to realize you didn't really know anything about sales as you thought because they they are rock stars and they walk away with the company. So you're saying you shouldn't always be the best salesperson at your company? Actually, you're, you're probably never going to be the best salesperson. <laughs> what your goal is, is to get it big enough so that you can hire a good sales gun and put him in the way and then begin to build a, a stable of really good salespeople. Because until you've mastered marketing, and I consider master marketing to be in my, my number for myself, which I've never met, by the way, is to have so many leads coming in that my salespeople can't handle them. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's my goal. And these are sales qualified leads, leads that want to talk to us. Right. Okay. So marketing's job is to take uh, uh, non people who don't know us and turn them into people who want to talk to us. And then sales job is to take the people who want to talk to us and figure out what they need and sell it to them. Let me, and let me ask you this. You're talking about sales. You're talking about all the things you do now. So that's uh, amazing. And I, you know, I appreciate you kind of addressing Jay's question, but MSPs, most of them in my experience are like me. I was an MSP. I'm a tech guy. I'm an introvert. Where do you get started? What do you what, what do you think the first thing is? Do you start mailing aspirin around? I mean, what do you what do you do? What, what what's your what are your thoughts on that? Well, 
I mean, you're referring to like one of the Robin Robbins campaigns, Aspirin, and, and we are totally fans of going and learning from anybody you can about mm-hmm. sales and marketing, right? Because you don't really know it, you don't really understand it. Uh, it's really important to know that you don't know it, and don't because I certainly didn't, and I certainly don't consider myself a master of it now. But I've learned a lot, and learning a lot helps you a lot. Um, I, I would say that um, for us to begin. You begin by doing stuff that you're really, really uncomfortable with. There's a great video a, a few years ago from the guy who won um, the Robin's car at his at, at her deal, and he started talking about all the campaigns they were running, and they were running six to nine campaigns constantly, going out to the people that they wanted to touch, and they'd modified these drastically. You never use raw campaigns from anybody; they'd modified them for them and their their vertical and all that kind of stuff. And he talked, he made this one comment that, that really stuck with me. And it was, every one of you has stayed late to do a server install or, or help somebody get something done. And you've stayed late to do that firewall or whatever. But how many of you guys have ever stayed late to make sure your, your marketing campaign got out? Mm-hmm. And I know I hadn't. I know I was not so desperate about my marketing that I was going to stay late no matter what to make sure every marketing button got touched. And that's who you've got to become. You've got to become someone different. You have to somehow learn and then change as much of your behavior as you can. No one can change all of their behaviors. No one can can do that. But you have to be, if you're not super uncomfortable with who you're becoming, you're not changing. Nice. So you're saying I have to change myself. I can't just wait for, for everybody else to change. You're always the, the cap on the bottle in your yeah. company. The yeah. CEO is, if he's not learning constantly, you know, the best CEOs read 60 books a year, business books. Wow. Yeah. Why, how can they possibly implement 60 books? Well, they can't. Like, you, you can't. But what you can do is build a vocabulary in yourself that you know what to go back to whenever you realize you've got a problem that you need to solve. And now you've got this book you've read or perused or whatever, and you've got it. You can go back to it, pick up some things and solve that problem really quickly. Yeah. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take a couple comments. Um, Laurie is really enjoying this good conversation. Thanks for, for being a part of this, Laurie. I wanted to highlight Adam, uh, Aaron rather his uh, saying he's in evolve, which is, I guess what HTG became, and also in uh, SLI, so Paul, what was Paul Dipple's service leadership, I believe. So thanks for commenting, being a part of this, guys. I wanted to ask you this, Sonny. You mentioned you've got to change, right? So I was an MSP. I'm still a tech guy. I'm still an introvert. You get, how, do I, how do I get out of my comfort zone? What's that first thing? Like, what, what do you recommend, whether it's a specific or just, you know, just the first thing to get me out of? Because what you said resonated with me. Like, I'd rather stay late and work on the server. I'd rather learn about the latest technical, you know, concepts than marketing, right? I mean, so how, how do I get better? How do I challenge myself? How do I, I think how do I get out of the comfort realize is that um, as long as you think of your company as a technical company, you'll never get there. It's when you start thinking of your company as a sales and marketing company that happens to deliver technical services that you'll get there. And it doesn't mean you don't be super technical. It doesn't mean that you let your technical fall off at all. It doesn't mean you let your CSAT fall off at all. I saw a comment about CSAT in there. We have a, a 97% CSAT rating from our clients. Every single ticket goes out. And you can go and Google my company, bluegenenetworks.com, and you can see uh, how many um, we've got almost, I think we've got over 200 five-star ratings from Google. And all those are organic. None of those are um, farms or anything like that trying to say that. This is actual clients talking about our, our business and things that we've done for them. I, I tell you, there's some great tools for this. Um, Biz Ratings out of New Jersey is the best ratings platform I've ever seen. They can tell you which uh, which companies are profitable because it ties into ConnectWise. They can tell you um, 
send out your tickets at the end of your um, uh, send out your uh, surveys at the end of your tickets and get a feel for how your clients are feeling. They send out other surveys to the owners of the companies to make sure the owners are happy with the with the thing. And on top of that, they they tie in with Google ratings to help you get those five star Google ratings. Uh, so if you get a good rating from a client, bounce them off to Google and say, hey, would you mind giving us a Google rating too? And they do it. It's only systems that produce this kind of outcome, not um, uh, just ad hoc stuff. So it's process, not acts of sheer heroism, is what you're saying. Yep. And okay. really starting to think about yourself differently. You're never really an entrepreneur until you're involved in sales and marketing. All you are is a technician that owns a company. You have a job, not a business. Well said. On that note, I wanted to highlight this comment with Jeremy Meyer, a larger MSP scales you may see a common decline in service deliverables. So as you expand, what methods did you use to ensure customer experience was satisfactory? Excellent question, Jeremy. It, thank you so much for that question. I really appreciate it. We talked a little bit about biz ratings. That, that's a, a, that's a, a wrap. But I think you have to have, like in security, you've got to have um, several steps to your, to your CSAT process. Number one is who you hire. We hire only people that have great personalities. Uh, if they don't have a great personality, if they don't have a sense of humor, they're never going to cut it at Blue Jean Networks. So if you want people to be happy, you have to know they, you have to have people that are um, they're going to care about the person on the other end of the phone. So we're always looking for people that are emotionally sensitive. Um, it's kind of funny that in, the, in our industry, it, we're not talking about people that are going into counseling for a business. These are these are technicians. I always say, you know how you can tell an extroverted technician from an introverted technician. Well, an extroverted technician will look at your shoes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is not known to be a super outgoing industry, right? Nope. But yeah. there are guys out there that are happy and filled with joy. And, and if you can hire those guys, you're likely to have a, a very high CSAT. Even if you make mistakes, it, you're likely to have it because ultimately – the guy with the good bedside manner is the doctor that you're going to love. That's Even right. if he makes a mistake and has to go in and fix it, if he's got a great bedside manner, it's uh, love covers a multitude of sins, the Bible says. And uh, I think it's, it's that way in CSAT. So number one, you've got to hire good people. Secondly, you've got to train them, train them, train them. We hire, we train. Every one of our techs, for instance, is required to pass a new certification every 90 days. That never goes away. Guys that have been with me five years are on a track for a new certification every five years, every 90 days, I mean. And, and the reason for that is twofold. Number one, it makes them more and more technically capable, which lets you hire good people that may not know as much originally. And secondly, it gives you um, a real safety net for your people. If you got hit by a bus or something like that, all your people will be the most hireable people in town because they've got great chops and certifications behind them that'll let them know. But what happens is you think I'm going to train them and they're going to leave, but trust me, it's much better to train them and have them leave than not train them and have them stay. Yeah, well said. That's exactly right. You want to, yeah, the, and the people that got hired away, if they ever do, are the best. The people that stay yeah. are, are probably and, and not. We, we've had guys double their salary leaving here and our guys still stay. Our average tenure is almost five, six years. That's amazing. Yeah. I want to I want to come back to that. I did have one other question. So a couple of things, guys. I see tons and tons. We've got dozens and dozens of live viewers. Uh, others will ask after. Please drop your comments in. We'll make sure to take those. We'll get to as many as possible, seeing a bunch of them come through. But I have a question for you. So in full disclosure, Sonny is a partner of what we call a partner of Servosity. So you use Servosity. Yeah. I wanted to just ask, with, we didn't talk about all, at this at all, so this will just be off the cuff. I wanted to ask, with all that you've done, all the process, all the tools, like, why did you pick Servosity? I'm having to remember back to that time, because we've been a Servosity client for a while. Um, I remember that we were very dissatisfied. We're, we're a storage craft company. We've been a storage craft company for a while. I have this theory that all backups are terrible and cheap backups are worse. And so you got, you got to have good backups. And, and I really kind of fell in love with the storage craft philosophy. Um, I have a, I have a philosophy. The reason I, I landed on storage craft 
which is that doesn't mean that that there aren't really good backup other backup solutions out there. It, it's just that I landed on StorageCraft because I saw the problem with most backups is getting this getting the data back on the server at the end. If you can back it up quickly, that's great. If you can back it up often, that's great. If you can know it's well well backed up, it's great. Um, and and uh, the the but most backups it's a real chore to move it on typically we can we can um light it we can light it up on the bdr really fast but then when it comes time to 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 get it back on the on the bare metal we have to shut the server we have to back up shut the server down on the bdr and then we have to do this massive restore which takes a day or two days if it's 10 terabytes it can take a long time to do this restore and then we've got to hopefully it'll boot up and if it does so we've got this amazing two and three day process to get it back on online. And what we discovered with, with StorageCraft is we can make an image every night of the backup as a, as a store, as a Hyper-V image. Now, a long time ago, we decided to put all our servers on Hyper-V and every server that we have, whether it's a single server or multiple servers, all of them are on Hyper-V or, or in a Hyper-V cluster across our entire environment. That's twofold. One, Hyper-V is free. Number two, Hyper-V can run um, UPS software in ways that that uh, other great uh, um, uh, virtual managers struggle with outside of data centers. So that means that our if we have a loss of power, the the backup the UPS software in the Hyper-V host can shut the server down cleanly, and we're and we're likely to survive it. And lastly, if we make our BDRs based on Hyper-V and restore that, we can spool up the server in Hyper-V very quickly on the BDR. And when it comes time to migrate it back, all we do is just live migrate it back over to the other server and it's running again. So it makes actually getting the Hyper-V back on the original server an incredibly fast process. So we're, we were looking at that and we managed to do that. We were doing it, we're jumping through hoops, but we're constantly having problems because StorageCraft is a really complex product. Somebody will forget to check a box or forget to do something and we'll have a disaster and it wasn't working. And Damien offered me the opportunity to have guys that were really trained, really new and would not make mistakes at this. And um, at, in, in reality, that was probably too big of a promise. Nobody never makes mistakes, right? Absolutely. But, but um, at least we had guys when mistakes were made that knew how to recover from them and go forward. And so we said, OK, well, we're going to we're going to start working with you. And that was a huge insight to us of, of things. You, I mean, I remember you telling us in the beginning, you guys aren't like our other MSPs. You, you really know what you're doing in this stuff. But you, you still need to do this, this and this. And I went, oh. Okay, so we went and put the, the, those things, and then you guys came back to us and said, "You know, we can run this for you if you wanted us to." And I said, "I looked at you and say, how can I make money that way? Because if you, if I'm paying you, I'm not getting paid." And you said, "Trust me on a few of them. Go off and do the math. I think you'll see." What we found is it gave us huge scalability to bring on to let you guys run our backups and manage our backups. And while that doesn't work for all of our CMMC. Um, prop clients who have very different kind of requirements. For most of our general clients, it works great. And it's much less of our centralized services people that have to be involved in looking at backups every day because we know Servosity is. I appreciate that insight, Sonny. So one thing I want to pull out of that is you said you've got centralized people that look at backups. In my experience, not everybody arrives at a central services setup for their business. So why did you do that or why do you need to do that? So like I said, Gary Pika said you needed a centralized services guy. So we got a centralized services guy. Okay. I, eventually, I started learning from these people that were talking to me. And eventually, I started doing things before they were necessary. Like, for instance, we, we brought EOS in our, into our company when we were about a million four in sales. And that's tiny for MSP, for EOS. We couldn't afford an implementer. That's how, how tiny we were. And um, I went out and had to, they have a, a, a deal at, e, at EOS Worldwide that lets you go in and train yourself on, on EOS. So I went and I took all their videos and did all their training and learned how to be an EOS implementer and started implementing it in our company. And it revolutionized our company. It literally made us an execution machine. I mean, our, our EOS meetings are how we survive these days. It gave a structure to everything that we do. But we got so good at it, other companies started asking me to help them. And so now I help other companies do their EOS 
around town. I'm not an EOS implementer for hire. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I just love comp- helping companies really do their business well. So you have all this time uh, structure and process around this. And and I kind of, as I mentioned to you at the time, you guys were were and are unusually process-driven. And that made you better at backups, in my experience, than most. Um, so why, just on the serosity side, if you're so good at it, if you've got a dedicated internal person at it and you're already so good at it, why would you have anybody else, let alone serosity, take over backups and managing them and fixing them and uh, testing them and all those sort of things for you? So the, the quick answer is um, tool creep. Um, as we've gone in the in the business throughout the years, we have more and more and more tools that the centralized services person is responsible for. If you think about it, you've got just your basic tools, ConnectWise, Control, Automate, and we have to have certified capable people in those. And then you've got scripting experts, and then you've got um, guys that are uh, experts in your in your antivirus and stuff like that. Then you've got your EDR your uh, your other tools like Threat Locker and, and uh, Third Wall, and, and you just keep going down the list. And we've, we've got about 25 different tools that we're using to manage our networks now. So that many tools is an immense amount of learning. It's an immense amount of cross-training among multiple people because you don't want to have a single point of failure, but you want to have preferably one guy managing that most of the time. But if something happened to him, you don't want to be able to shut down as your MSP. And so being able to outsource something to somebody that really knows what they're doing can make can be a huge difference maker. I got it. I appreciate that. Wanted to kind of switch gears, acknowledge a couple comments. Uh, Jeremy Meyer, um, thank you for the insights. Thank you for sharing, Sonny. So um, this is this is really resonating with folks out there. Um, and then I wanted to touch uh, a couple other comments we'll get to and, and ask some different questions. One is from Richard. Um, joined a little bit later. Will there be a recording? Uh, yes. If you put recording, which you already did, anybody else just put recording in a comment. We'll make sure to get you the recording. I'll uh, mention this later, but anybody that wants to email show at Damien Stevens live can actually uh, get not only the recording, but all the links that Sonny's mentioned to all the different things from Gary Pika to service leadership, all those sort of things. We're going to transcribe this and give you all the helpful links to Sonny in uh, his uh, Blue Gene Networks and everything. So with that said, I wanted to ask, what's your advice at different stages of building an MSP? Different maybe revenue, however you want to cover it. How do I get from you know each stage and what's most important if I'm at yeah. stage? Um, it, I, I can't speak to what it's going to be for everybody, but I can tell you what it was for me. Um, in my opinion, um, the early days of an MSP are all about getting enough traction so you uh, don't go out of business. Uh, don't sign any agreement that um, you can't deliver. Um, be careful about getting your structure in place. Um, but you're going to be, everybody's going to be doing everything because you don't have any dedicated people. The first person I thought was important to hire was an accounting person. And I hired an accounting person at half day once a week. And she came in and did our books for years. The job grew until she was there almost full time. Uh, and then um, over the years, so you don't have to hire a full timer. You can hire somebody. But the goal of you as a, as a CEO is to stop doing things. You're supposed to learn how to do it, pass it on to somebody else, and then stop doing it. Only hold them accountable train them how to do it, and then have an accountability methodology that you build in. Ours was EOS, so that you can know whether they're succeeding at their job each week. Each week, you've got to have it. Uh, try to get everybody in the company has a number. Um, this is an EOS idea, but it's uh, um, in, in EOS, if everybody has a number, um, that means if they're doing that number, it tells you whether they're succeeding at their job. Our dispatcher's number is two. And that number means no, the, no phone will ring more than twice before it gets answered. Um, our, uh, our our guy for our accounting person is um, uh, uh, less than 30 is her number. And it's 30 days receivable on all of our receivables. Um, our um, service manager is um, 
no ticket. Oh, uh, he has a he has a number that's a gross margin number. I mean, every every person in the company has a number that if they're hitting their number, it it makes it. Then try to get your numbers down to you more quickly. We talked about EBITDA being a really big number, but the next big number, if your EBITDA is not right, go ahead and figure out next what your gross margin is in your company. And if your gross margin is not in the 40s, likely you're not doing a good job. But most of you may not even understand how to break up what's cost of goods sold and what's actual expenses. But you've got to learn that story of what's cost of goods sold and what's expensive so you can get an accurate gross margin in your company. And then you've got, once you understand your gross margin, you've got to begin to start dividing up your lines of business by managed services and hourly technical work and project work and products that you're doing and break all of those um, uh, uh, lines of business down by classes in QuickBooks so that you can know what your revenue in that class was and what your expense was in that class was so you can get a gross margin by product line. So if your gross margin is suffering, you can go figure out where you're suffering. Are you suffering in your managed services? Are you suffering in your hourly? Are you suffering in your product margins? And then you can fix that. Um, Somebody asked what rocks were, and I want to I want to jump in and and, and talk about that. Um, rocks are, are driven quarterly. If you think about your rhythms in EOS, goals are what you're going to shoot for at the end of the year. Your goals are: I want this much profit, I want this much revenue, I want these things accomplished that are going to take all year to get them accomplished. A new accounting system, X Y Z, whatever they are. But rocks are. Uh, that what you're going to do in any one quarter, anything anything that takes longer than two to three weeks to do needs to be done as a rock in a quarter. And you can only have five to seven rocks every quarter. If you try to take on more than that, you're not going to accomplish them. And you want to get 80% of your rocks done every quarter. And these rocks are basically not a subset. Like if you want a, a million dollars of sales in a year, then your rock is a quarter million dollars of sales. You need to know what your sales number is for the quarter, but your rock is what you're going to do to accomplish that sales. We're going to get 25 first time appointments this quarter. And that, that might be a rock. A rock is always something that if you do it will cause your goals to be met. And then tasks are things that you assign weekly out of your management meetings in order to keep rocks on track or to keep numbers on track. And anytime you're not meeting your numbers or not meeting your rocks, it doesn't look like you're going to accomplish them at the end of the quarter. You make tasks to make sure those happen. So that's that piece. Sorry for that parentheses about rocks. I just wanted to talk a little bit about that. And there's some great notes in the comments too, about, about where to find more about rocks and EOS. But as you get toward, um, five and six and seven people, you're going to start having your first, um, move into um, uh, having some specialized people beyond accounting. And that means you're going to probably have a project guy and a managed services guy that's sitting in the seat, always taking inbound calls, and then maybe multiple guys taking calls and a few project guys. And then you're going to add in at around 10 people. You're going to add in uh, central, uh, not centralized services. You're going to add in your standardization services, your net admins that are going out to standardize your networks to be to make sure that every network looks exactly the same as every other network so that you can manage them more easily. And there's a great tools out there from Gary Pika and, and Kaseya has some great tools that they bought from them around that process called the MyIT process methodology. And then you're going to uh, begin to add in um, centralized services somewhere along in there where somebody is managing up till then, it may be you that's being the centralized services guy, but you've got to push that down to them. And then when you get up to about 11 and 12 people, you're really starting to see some standardization. Now that a guy is mostly working in that division and it's much easier to figure out what your cost of goods sold and your revenue is in that division of your company, as opposed to just one number on your, on your gross margin. And then as you grow and get toward 15 people, you've got to have your second level of management already in place. And you've got to have your service manager in place. And as you get toward eight, 16 to 18 people, you're beginning to look at your putting your director of sales in place. Right now, it might be you. And, and you can do that role for a long time, but eventually you've got to have a director of sales because when you get between 15 and 20 people, you can't keep your 20% growth rate without multiple salespeople. It, it, a, a guy can only do so much or a lady can only do so much. 
And so you've got to have multiple salespeople to begin to actually hit your sales numbers as you get up to those numbers. And, and from then on, it's just scaling as a business and getting people into the roles, dividing those people that are ru running multiple jobs into individual jobs and putting them into individual seats and making sure they, they know that job so you can scale. That's awesome. So Sonny is dropping some major nuggets here, guys. If you want to hear more, you got more specifics, drop them in the comments. I want to hear from you guys. I'm going to switch topics for a minute. We may come back to this depending on demand. So throw those in the comments if you want to hear more. Um, I want to switch gears, Sonny, and, and, and ask you. So you're voted, obviously, Dallas-Fort Worth is probably not a small area. You're probably not the only MSP. It's probably really competitive. So Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Right. All right. That's bigger than a lot of markets, right? So how, how are you able to be voted the best place to work and what matters in terms of hiring and retaining um, engineers? Because they're so hard to, to hire. And then if we lose one, I mean, God, we're, we're, we're just so far behind. You know, we may burn out other people. Like what, what would you say about that? I think you got to have some goals around taking care of your people. Um, one of my goals is I'm a Christian, so I, I'm, I run this business as a stewardship for God. And I see the business as not my business, but his business that I'm the chief steward for. And as such, I run it open book so that my people know how much I make. They know how much they, uh, the, the company makes. They know how much revenue is going into every category. And, the, and we'll let them know what it is. Um, we make decisions as a team through EOS. And so we push decisions down to the lowest level of the company. Obviously, we're going to address the problems and we're going to put the problems in front of them and what our recommended solutions are. But we push the solutions down to our people where they can be involved in the decision making. It's amazing how important that is to people. I think we we made it a long time ago that we were not going to be a client-driven company. We were going to be an employee-driven company. We believe that if you take care of your employees, they will take care of your clients. And so we have all kinds of programs for our client, our employees. We pay all of their benefits uh, for the for short-term and long-term and medical and all that kind of stuff. But we also have 401ks with matching. We have... Um, uh, a program where it's, I call it the slush fund, where if you get stuck in your car transmission breaks or your air conditioning breaks at your house, we have money to help you fix that. And we, we provide that, that slush fund that a lot of people don't have in it. And the only thing we ask is if you're going to get, borrow some of that money or, or not borrow, take some of the money from the slush fund that you go get, um, uh, Dave Ramsey training for you and your wife that we will pay for. If you'll do that, we will help pay for this bill for you. Um, we do, uh, things like, um, quarterly celebrations every quarter where every, um, tech and his family is welcome to come. We took him uh, over to Hawaiian falls here in, in Mansfield, uh, this quarter and had a great party with all the, all the whole company and fan, family. And we just pay for everything. We pay for uh, the Hawaiian falls, the drinks, the extra inner tubes, the, everything you want to get there. And we, we take care of that once a quarter. Um, we have a thousand dollar Christmas bonus where on right around uh, Black Friday, we give them a thousand dollars so that um, they can um, uh, have great Christmas at, at that time. And a Christmas party where we bring them and their wives in and we celebrate the year as a team together. Um, we, we pay for every certification that they get and the training they get and if they get stuck. I mean, most of the training they're having to do on their own time, but if they get stuck, they can work with people here at the office to figure out what they, why they're having trouble with that, with that test and then finally get over the hump. Um, we are just committed to our people. And that's one of the reasons why we, I think we won that award. I, don't, I, I think the award asks the questions about what kind of company you are. And I think that's really about how you're running the company as a steward uh, for whoever your steward is, because even if you're not a Christian and running it like I am, you really have multiple constituencies for your company. You have you, the owner's constituency, which is how are we going to make profit, but you have the client's constituency and how are we going to love them and take care of them? You have the employee's constituency. How are we going to love them so that they can love our employees? Because that don't, that's the only way it scales. If you can love your employees enough to love your, love your people. And then you've got the community at large, which means we're giving up to 10% of our profits away to the whole uh, community so that, so that um, we can 
win in the community so the community can win and bringing in interns and i mean it just goes on and on and on how much are you willing to give away because ultimately in our company the number one value is giving things away uh, we read everybody who comes to our company has to read the book by bob berg called the go giver first and unless they re read go giver they're not allowed to be um uh, part of the company. They have to, they can allow to touch a technical thing until they've read and completed the go-giver because the go-giver tells you why, you, um, what, what your value is and why, how much money you're going to make doing that. And basically the value is the more you can give away, the more money you're going to make as a person. That's awesome, Sonny. I want to remind everybody, uh, if you want to hit recording in there, we got some great comments we're going to address. If you want the recording, hit that. There's also an email address, show at DamienStevens.live. So we're going to recap every book, every note, every detail. Um, so if you want to get connected to Sonny, his company, uh, Godly Stewardship, uh, the Go-Giver books, um, all this sort of thing, we're going to have that. So show at DamienStevensLive. I just wanted to cover that real quickly. So and I wanted to switch to a couple of the comments um, that we're having here. So it's great advice, Sonny. Um, we've got Morgan saying, thinking the same as Gary, um, Gary saying, um, I think I'm going to close my business and go work for Sonny. So, <laughs> um, that's high praise. You would be welcome, Gary. Hilarious. Um, so I've got a practical question, right? I'm a, I'm a Christian. I imagine a number of folks are, um, and there's a difference between being a Christian and being a godly steward, right? So I'll just speak for myself. You don't have to be a Christian to work at Servosity. Same here. Uh, but the way that we guide the business and make decisions is based on that. And so um, how do you how do you bring that into business? In other words, how do I how do I not like act like everybody else and then go to church on Sunday? Um, and, and I don't mean in a, in a negative way, but how do I infuse that without being one of those that says you must do this or if you don't hang out? at the right place or say the right prayers or go to the right church that you're not welcome, right? Because at Servosity, you're welcome. But also we make decisions with a certain belief set and, and stewardship. And I'd love to hear your take on how you integrate and how it's uh, and, not, and how they're not so separate. So the first thing I do is I tell people that I'm a Christ follower and, and that's my value. And in the beginning and say, you don't have to be, I'll be glad to hire you. You're welcome to work here. But we're going to run the company by godly values while we're here. Um, secondly, um, you have core values that that you figured out how to push down into your company to the point where everybody in your company can recite your core values at any moment. You can walk up to anybody in my company and say, what are your five core values? They can go bing, bang, boom, 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 because they know all five of them. And the reason they know them is because the point is when we're not around, we'll back you if you make a decision based on our core values. If you can show us how you used our core values to come to that decision, we're going to back you 100%, whatever the decision is, whether it's for a client or for an employee or whatever it is, we're going to back you. So um, the, you take those values and you push them down into the organization and then you live the values. You're there at eight o'clock in the morning. You're there at 5 p.m. in the afternoon. You consider your work that you're doing to be a stewardship for your employees as well as for your clients and you, and you don't give up. And, and you, 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 you walk out the walk without hiding that that's what the source of what you're doing is. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I think uh, we've got a number of folks wanting to hear the recording um, and, uh, and kind of highlighting things. I think what you just said really struck a chord with me because I think for a lot of people, core values Right. Uh, I think it was Enron's core values were, you know, one of them was integrity. Right. So like sometimes they just feel like something they get written down and put on a shelf and they're just there in case somebody, you know, to say that I did it. So uh, so what you just said of we'll back you, that really resonated with me because, hey, you've got to make decisions without us and in real time. And yeah. the, I'll back you. Uh, we'll back you because these are beliefs that that resonates a lot. I know I just want to highlight a couple more comments and get some parting thoughts from you, Sonny. We've got uh, Richard who's saying he just uh, bought the Go-Giver. So based on, sounds like based on your recommendation. So awesome to hear that. Let it's us a know. wonderful little business novel. It, 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 it's very easy read. Let us know what you think of that, Richard. And then uh, Julius here uh, agreeing with Gary. 
and uh, he was either going to agree with that Gary wants the recording or probably more likely that he I wants to join Sonny. <laughs> so this has really been inspiring stuff. Um, I want to keep everybody on time and, and be a good steward of your schedule. Speaking of that, um, any any kind of parting thoughts that you have, Sonny? Just that I love the MSP community and our community is getting ready to go under a lot of change. And um, you guys that are older in the business, I know you're looking at the change and wondering if it's worth it. You guys that are younger in the business, um, you've not experienced this. But we're getting ready to go through a lot of change. And your character and your willingness to learn is you're going to be your ability to survive. Because if you survive these changes that are coming, legislative changes, security changes, and things like that, you're going to be in a very powerful position because guys that can't make that turn are going to go out of business. They're not going to be able to get certified. They're not going to be able to be certified by the state. They're not going to be the other things. They're going to go out of business. And I just want to tell you that I believe in you, that I hope for you, and that I bet you can do it just like we did. You can't beat that. That's awesome. Thank you, Sonny. Sonny has a heart for MSPs like I do. So there's no there, there's no surprise that I asked him to be the first guest on this show. This show, uh, despite being called Damien Stevens Out Live, is a, by a former MSP that works with MSPs. And I get to work with hundreds and hundreds of you guys regularly. So I get to see some of the great and some of the not so great. So I am also somebody that has a, just a huge heart for MSPs. I look at MSPs as, as entrepreneurs, but they're willing to do the hard stuff that other people aren't. So thank you for that, Sonny. Guys, hit any comments. We'll address them later. If you would like the recording, hit recording. And then if you would like uh, everything, email show at DamienStevens.live. We'll make sure to get you links to books, links to Gary Pika, Gary, links to service leadership, links to everything we've discussed here um, and and kind of put the whole recording, transcription, everything packaged up for you because we want to deliver value for you. And, uh, and, and then lastly, I wanted to mention that the next show is two weeks from today on September 3rd at 11 a.m. Eastern. So if you're interested, hit the follow or email us and we'll make sure to include you in that. It's been my pleasure and honor to have you guys today. Thank you so much.